You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. The worst thing that has happened to us in terms of being able to resolve problems, deal with crises, and act on opportunities, the worst thing that has happened to us is voicemail. It is the, it is the ban of modern civilization. It is just awful. Um, because you can't get to anybody, even when they're supposed to be there. Now, see, now I understand, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I understand like not being able to get to me. Because I ain't there. Well, I'm, I'm not there. I understand not getting to him. See, I know. Steve ain't there. He's in an airplane. He's in a hotel. He's standing in front of an audience talking. I understand not getting to him. What I don't understand is not getting to the secretary of the vice president. She is supposed to be in a cubicle. In fact, she probably is in the cubicle. I know she's in the cubicle. So why doesn't she answer her phone? See? Or why doesn't she at least check her messages and call me? And so the voicemail is in the way. But you can't let that dictate how you respond to things. And in case you don't know it, almost every company has the ability to page somebody, in case you don't know it. And the bigger the company, the more likely they can go find somebody if you force them. And in yourself and in the people who work with you, you must somehow instill the idea of urgency. That this must be handled now. I was at... Um, one of the reasons... That the, the guy that used to run the product deal at the Peter Lowe events. Um, many of you, you should raise your hand, you've been to those events, so you understand those things are giant, they're giant Tupperware parties. But we sell tapes, we don't sell Tupperware. Uh, but the product, like, is real important. And if the product's not there, uh, this is, like, fatal, you know, because that's the whole point. <laughs> Uh, obviously, the attendees, some of them, think the point is that they get to hear Colin Powell. But see, that, that's not the point. The point is, sell as much stuff as we can. And it's harder to sell from an empty wagon than from a full wagon. In fact, in that environment, it's almost impossible. So not too many cities ago, the guy that runs the product area, uh, the afternoon before the event, three of the speaker's products, none of it is there. Uh, Ziggs. Uh, Peters and, the, and Dr. Brower's. No product. Now, I've had days when mine hasn't been there, and I immediately go into the massive action mode. I'm on the phone screaming at Carla, I'm on the phone screaming at the guy, I'm on the phone screaming at UPS, I'm finding the guy at 7 o'clock at night. I don't see, I don't care that he went home, I don't, I, none of that. I'm boxes. Boxes. Okay. Real single-minded. Boxes. I'll find the box. You know? um, so this guy, the next day now, I happen to be standing there at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's still no product. And the guy, the, the president of the company, says to the guy who's supposed to be handling this, you know, what's the deal? Here's his answer. I don't know. I left messages, and they haven't called me back. But see, that's normal. See, he thinks he did something. But he doesn't understand urgency. He did nothing. Because he's exactly where he was as if he didn't make any calls. He might as well have said, 
I didn't make any calls. Because the outcome's the same, I don't know nothing. And the end outcome's the same, we ain't got no boxes. And his job is to get the box, not make a call. Get the box. Okay? And he didn't get it, so he's gone. And now hopefully somebody's there who gets it. Okay? The guy before him who left of his own volition, see, he really got it. The one time we had the situation with mine, he was in his own rented car in the UPS terminal at 11 o'clock at night looking for the boxes. That's the correct response. Now, he ain't supposed to be there, and they're not supposed to let him in, and all, but that's the, that's the right thing. The wrong thing is, well, I have messages, and call me back. Oh, geez, it's only been a few hours. No, 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 minutes. Minutes, seconds. Right? This, not this, here. If you do three minutes, boom. That's urgency. But people don't get it. Yeah, successful people get it. Real successful people get it. Uh, there's a famous Donald Trump story. Don Donald Trump and Leona Helmsley both take a lot of flack, but they're both, they really are great hotel people. Um, I don't have time to tell it. I have a favorite Leona Helmsley story, uh, but 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 this is a great Trump story. Uh, supposedly true. I have no reason to doubt it. Uh, Trump's inspecting um, his hotel in Atlantic City. He's going through, you know, with a couple of vice presidents and clipboards, and he's walking through the hotel, and they go in the men's room, and there's, you know, stuff that you, I mean, it's there's towels laying on the floor and. There's a pool of water, one of the toilets is leaking or something. And uh, he says, fix it, you know, get this fixed. And one guy with a clipboard scurries off. They go to wherever they go next, the restaurant or whatever, and then Trump turns around, they're supposed to be heading that way, and heads back to the restaurant. And walks in the restroom. And there's a puddle, and there's stuff in the car. And he blows, you know, and the other guy that's with him with the clipboard says, well, but it's only been 10 minutes. And Trump says, well, you got 10 minutes to go fire the other guy and find somebody to clean this up. I'll be back in 11. <laughs> See, Trump gets it. See, one guy goes in there in the 10 minutes and slips on the puddle. You got yourself a million dollar lawsuit. One high roller goes in there in the 10 minutes and gets his, you know, $2,000 pair of shoes wet and decides to go to another hotel next time and lose a million dollars. You lost a million. See, minutes matter. And a lot of people don't get it. Successful people do. Um, in being effective with your time, broke this thing already, just bought it. Um, by the way, you can buy these things in the spy shops. Just don't, just don't take them in your carry-on baggage. Uh, it's a very bad idea. Um, Schwarzkopf uses a, a word, regimen. Um, regimen means like disciplining yourself to do the same thing the same way at the same time every day. Um, like uh, um, people who have um, uh, who have AIDS, uh, the um, the medical stuff, 
which setting aside all the debate of whether it works or not, but the, like the stuff they're all supposed to take, it's like a full-time job. I mean, they got to take these two pills at precisely this time of the day, and you got to take this with food and this not with food, and you can't take this pill at the same time as this pill. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and um, um, there's a thing called, do you guys know what a viatical settlement is? It's a way to buy, you invest, you buy an insurance policy of somebody that's terminally ill. When the latest advancements came in the, in the, uh, the so-called uh, uh, drug cocktails for, for the AIDS people, there was a lot of conversation in financial circles about, oh my God, the viatical settlement business is going to collapse now because all these people are going to live longer and all the numbers have gone to crap. And of course it proves that that's not the case at all because hardly anybody has the discipline to take the stuff the way it has to be taken in order to prolong their life. They may do it for a little while, but they won't stick to it. Now, I have some sympathy for them. I mean, I saw the regimen. It's like I'm having trouble sticking to my vitamin one, and it's like nothing like that. Uh, but successful people have certain regimens about what they do. Now, like, for example, people say to me, how do you write so much? Well, my deal is 5 a.m. That's my deal. And so I write for an hour, two hours, before there's any interruption, before anything's happening, before I gotta go anywhere, before anybody's calling me, and, and I do it virtually every morning. Very rare is there an exception. Too many exceptions, you don't have a regimen anymore. Okay. And uh, different people, you, you may not need to do that, but you, you need to put yourself, the more regimented is the use of your time, the less flexible time you have, the more you get done. See, the reason people don't get a lot done is because actually they're busy making choices about how they're going to use the time when they should be using the time. I mean, a lot of people actually go to work and then think about, well, what am I going to do? I'm here. I got here. Try that on people that work in an office. Ask them, when you get to the office tomorrow morning, what's the first thing you're going to do? And what's its intended outcome and when do you plan on having it done? Most people won't be able to give you an answer. They hadn't thought past get to the office. Then they get there and say, well, what do I do? Got me six piles here. Wonder which pile I should wear. Have you ever done that? You got so many things to do, you can't decide which to do. And so you, you just kind of stand there. Well, I wonder what I'm going to do. And before you know it, a half an hour is gone and you're still not doing nothing. It wouldn't have mattered which one you started with. You'd have been better off if flip a coin, throw a dart, but start, you know. But it's best to, like, know. <laughs> you know, that's best is to know. Salespeople, honest to God, salespeople get up in the morning and don't know who they're going to call. Try that if you've got a salesperson that's working for you. Let me see the list of everybody you're going to call. See if they're numbered. Who's the first one they're going to call? Who's the second one they're going to call? Who's the third one they're going to call? If they're not, guess what? They don't know. So now they're going to sit down at the desk with the phone, open up their call list, and then they're going to sit there for a while in prime selling time thinking about who they're going to call. And after they call one person, they're going to sit there for another 10 minutes and ponder who they're going to call next. In prime time, there should be no pondering. There should be doing. You can ponder driving home. You ponder while you're on the pot, but you don't ponder while you're supposed to be calling, say. There's, I mean, but people don't get that. So when you regiment your time, see, like, I don't have to make a decision about the first two hours of the day. I, I'm going to get up and I'm going to write. The only decision I go, I got to make is what am I going to write? 
And so I make that before I go to bed at night. And if I'm going to write, boom, put it right there. In the center of the desk, go write that. Now that decision's done. So I sit down and I start writing. Ain't you no know, pondering, no shuffling. I start writing. And therefore, that's a pretty productive hour or a pretty productive two hours. Uh, and so this idea of, you could call it time blocking, you can call it appointments with yourself, you can call it regimentation, uh, it all helps you be more successful. Uh, here's something that gets preached against that shouldn't get preached against. Now, some people are ingrained that this is a bad thing. Um, who said to me the other day, oh, Reed Hoisington said to me the other day, my whole life is about finding shortcuts. Not bad. Um, it was a big deal to me to discover that they don't give you more money for doing it the longer or harder way. <laughs> it seems like you should get extra, but you don't. They do not add to the deposit when you take it to the bank. If you say, I did this the hard way. I figured this all out for myself. I didn't go buy a book. I didn't go listen to anybody. I didn't go check with anybody who's ever done it before. I didn't do any of that. I'm real proud of myself. I started by inventing fire. <laughs> I figured out how to make fire from rocks and sunlight. That's where I start. They don't give you any more money. Just take the deposit, put it in a bank, end of the store. So, you know, you might as well just like use the lighter. <laughs> right? Oh. Right? But, but, but a lot of people do that. So, shortcuts. The big shortcuts are what other people know through experience. Now, that's important because it's different than what other people know. It's what other people know through experience. Pretty just great story. Let me see if I, this is one I haven't done. Let me see if I can get this right. You should never test them in front of an audience, but there's a, there's a lion, there's a lion, a donkey, and a fox. And they're all out rabbit hunting. And at the end of the day, they got this big uh, pile of rabbits. They're all caught. And the lion says to the donkey, why don't you go divide up the rabbits fairly among us? And so the donkey goes and he makes three piles of rabbits. At which point, the lion kills the donkey, uh, eats some of the donkey, and throws him up on the pile of rabbits. And now he says to the fox, why don't you divide the rabbits up fairly amongst the two of us? The fox goes and makes a big pile of rabbits on one hand and takes one scrawny little rabbit for himself and goes off over in the farm. And the lion says, how did you learn to count so well? <laughs> and he says, I learned from the donkey. <laughs> now that's, see, that's, that's knowledge from experience. That ain't, that's not knowledge from somebody that sat in a college somewhere, you know, and wrote a book or knowledge from somebody who went and got it from four other people and just rewrote it. There's a lot of that going around. Uh, that's knowledge from somebody that actually had some experience 
usually successful and unsuccessful, and now synthesized it and is willing to share it in one way, shape, or form. Um, um, what do people ask about this? Um, is uh, what I call compartmentalization. And um, people who work with me often talk about they're surprised that I can instantly stop one thing and go to another thing and, um, and do it over and over again. And the illustration that Maltz used to use is now antiquated. He used to talk about clearing the calculator and, and a visualization of that you had to clear the thing before you could do the next problem. You either stored it in memory. Uh, Stephen, people are fussing. Can you give me some more sound? I mean, I don't know why this is, but... Yep, okay. Um, I can do this, but we're going to pop peas. Okay. Um, so yeah, see, we're going to get echo if we do this. Um, his illustration was clearing the calculator. It's actually wildly outdated. Now, a better illustration is the computer um, of closing a file, opening another file, closing a file, opening another file. Uh, that's literally what you train yourself to do mentally. And, and if you have multiple responsibilities, multiple tasks, multiple projects, or multiple clients, uh, it's a pretty important thing to train yourself to do. Um, and it, it's not accidental. I mean, I've worked at it, but I can... Um, this summer I was at uh, one of the fairs, and uh, we had a... I think we had a platinum conference call, if I'm not mistaken. It was either a client conference call, a Guthy Ranker conference call, or a platinum conference call. But I went from uh, a seat of the seat of the sulky crossing the finish line into a little office in the barn and onto the phone to do the conference call in under five minutes, and I was fine. I was totally focused. You just close that thing and you open up the next and and, and go to work. And uh, it, it's an important thing to learn how to do if you have problems with it. it it's 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 really a matter of concentration. But the best example to look at and we have a couple athletes in the room, the, the example for me that has always sort of motivated me to work on this is, is the coach. Uh, because they've got to do these two things. They've got to be able to compartmentalize and they've got to be able to shift from one thing to the other. They've got to hit their reset button between plays. So think about when it goes bad on the football field. I've always said the worst job would be coaching pro basketball because I think that's the fastest game and there's no built-in break between the plays. Um, a good friend of mine, Coach Foster, college coach, heart, heart attack on top of heart attack and it doesn't surprise me in the least. Uh, but, but think about football and so a play goes bad. Your quarterback goes out there and does a stupid play and throws an interception. If that coach behaves like most people does, and stays upset and mired in all of the emotional reactions to the stupid thing that just happened and all of the horrible things that can now happen as a result of what that happened, uh, six plays go by and he's still in a funk. Well, he can't be. Uh, he's got to reset instantly. And uh, you see stuff happen on sidelines in games um, that uh, that they've got to set that aside and not think about it and move on to the next thing. And they're able to do it minute by minute by minute by minute. So we ought to be able to do it, maybe not at that level, but at some level. Uh, really, a football game is like maybe a, a corporate quarter condensed to an hour 
uh, and a season might be a corporate lifetime condensed to a season. Uh, so I've always looked at those guys and said, you know, it's amazing that they can do it. Uh, certainly most people thrust into the situation wouldn't. The game would get away from them. They would still be emotionally reacting to something that happened 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes ago. Has, has the game escaped them? And, and it's a real important skill or talent or, or ability, I think, to uh, develop. Um, there's two things linked here that I want to talk about. A lot of what we've been talking about this morning has to do with um, how independent you can be. Um, uh, and uh, in terms of money, in terms of client uh, selection, customer selection, in terms of the way you do business, who you wish to do business with, how you wish to charge for doing business with the people that you do business with. Uh, right now in, uh, in healthcare, and um, Dr. Willis is here somewhere, there, there you are, in uh, dentistry, and I don't, I don't know if we have a chiropractic consultant type person here or not, but, but we do have a dental chiropractic consultant, okay. Uh, you know, one big issue is, uh, are you gonna, is the practice going to participate or opt out of managed care and, and be a true cash for service practice? And um, and in all probability, by the way, our, if you, our healthcare system is good, we're going to have two healthcare systems. We're going to have those of us who pay and uh, get what we want, and everybody else who stands in a breadline somewhere and uh, gets abused by doctors who function like postal workers. And those are, those are and it's going to be a big separation in between. And so what, what's going on in dentistry and what's going on in chiropractic, to some degree, are practices that literally are completely opting out of the insurance system. And uh, they are saying to their patients, here's how you do business here. You pay us. And if you can get reimbursed, more power to you, but we're not going to participate in that part of the process. Your problem, not ours. Uh, uh, radical, um, uh, and it, but great independence if you can do it. Well, the bottom line secret, which kind of segues us into marketing, to having great independence is simply having enough deal flow. Uh, that's it. Uh, if you have your marketing act together and you have enough prospective customers, clients, patients flowing towards you, you can be very, very independent. Uh, you know, it, it, as I said, it takes it takes a different mindset to be to be viciously independent when you have no customers. Uh, but if you want to enjoy that attitude, it's easy to have it when you have more customers than you need, and you have to winnow somehow anyway. So you might as winnow, you might as well winnow out those uh, who who will not do business precisely and exactly and totally the way you would love to do business. And the secret is to crank up the deal flow. Now, there's a couple things about that, two corollaries. One is that a lot of people, particularly in service businesses, get caught into the trap of uh, securing a certain amount of business and then having to go produce or service that business. And they don't do any or they do very little marketing while they're doing that. And one day they wake up to discover that they've done a great job, but they've also put themselves out of business. Um, the solution to that is you never turn off the marketing machine. Um, you, uh, my rule is every day. Every single day we got to do something to keep new blood flowing into the pipeline that is going to evolve and turn into business. 
Uh, and if you let a day go by because you're too busy doing this or too busy doing that, then it's easy to let two days go by and then let three days go by and pretty soon uh, you've established a new and different pattern that is not productive for you. Um, and so uh, and well, my rule is every day there's got to be some mail going out or I've got to be on the phone with some person who is ready to do business. Somehow we've got to be keeping the pump running uh, that brings new blood into the business. In many service businesses, the choice you have is feast or famine. You either have too much or you have too little. Better to have too much uh, than it is to have too little. So you keep, um, uh, Confu Confucius said many things, but one of the good things he said was dig the well before you thirst. Uh, so you keep your systems running that are bringing in new business even when you don't need it. Uh, you, don't, you don't turn that down, you just get pickier about what you take, but you keep the systems running. The second thing is uh, diversity in the way you get business. A lot of people get lazy and rely on one or two or three pro productive ways. Um, when, I, um, when I first started to do consulting uh, in uh, chiro chiropractic, I was working with a practice management guy and he had built three consecutive single doctor million dollar a year practices in rapid periods of time. And so he would go into a town, build one, sell it, move someplace else, start another one, build it, move someplace else, start another one. And he'd become kind of famous in the profession for having done this. And he said uh, the number one question that he always got from everybody, didn't matter who they were, uh, the number changed but the question never changed. His, his basic number was 72 new patients a month. And so they would come to him and they would want to know, you know, how do you do that? Uh, but specifically what they would ask is, uh, tell me the thing, tell me the thing, what do I do, what's the one thing I do, is what they either said or meant, to get 72 new patients a month, or the number might change, to get 30 new patients a month, or to get 12 new patients a month, but what's this, what do I do? And what they really wanted is what everybody wants. I mean, they want to be handed one magic pill that solves that problem. And his answer was, uh, I don't know anything to do to get 72 new patients a month, but I know 72 things to do to get a new patient a month, and I do all 72 of them. Now, that's some of the best marketing advice I ever heard, um, is, is having lots of open doors, lots of funnels, lots of methods bringing you new business. Uh, so that if they cycle and one's down, another one's up. Um, if you get a slump in one place, it doesn't translate to all places. Uh, and you don't, need, you don't need to depend on this one or two or three things to keep you alive. Um, you don't need great results from any one thing. You just need okay results from a lot of things. And uh, sometimes one of the ways people get lazy is by uh, what I call bad economics. Um, I had, Michael and I were talking yesterday, we had this conversation about some things. Here, here's one method of bringing in business, and let's say that it works reliably and productively, and it's very profitable. Maybe it brings in new customers at a two-to-one or three-to-one or four-to-one front-end profit. Every dollar you spend, you get four back, and you get a new customer. And over here's a method that brings in new customers pretty reliably, but it only brings them in at break-even. Every dollar you spend, you get a buck, but you get a new customer. The temptation is to only do this one and drop that one. 
but dangerous temptation. Not a very smart temptation. Anytime you can acquire new customers at break even or better, you should dance in the streets. And so any method that gives you a new customer at break even or better, you should keep doing it. As long as it's not cannibalizing the better one, as long as they can coexist without any trade-off, without any cannibalization, you should do them all and you should do as many of them as you can find. Uh, I talked to another client this week and he's using uh, broadcast facts to generate all his leads and gee, his lead cost is way, way, way down and he's very excited about all that and so he stopped doing his trade journal ads because it costs four times as much to get a lead from the trade journal as it does from the broadcast facts. But it's profitable running the trade journal ads. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Keep doing that. Do this as much as you can, but you don't stop that because this works better. This works okay. Keep it working too. Uh, and if you can have 10 things with varying degrees of profitability, but all acceptable, do all 10. Well, if, if the higher cost method stole prospects from the low cost method, then, then you'd have to think twice about doing them both. But if one is not treading on the other one's territory, they're bringing you two completely different sets of prospects, then you want to do both. Even if there's little cannibalization. Um, and, and then there's also the issue of whether you want to buy speed. I mean, you and I have had this conversation. You know, I had a client for years that ran full page ads in a collection of about a dozen magazines a month. And what we discovered is you could put two, two full page ads in the same magazine separated by pages that looked different and you didn't get double the response but you got almost double the response both were profitable and the cannibalization factor in this case duplication same person answering both ads was under 10 percent of the total prospect base so under those circumstances would you do it or not do it well you do it okay? and the next thing you test is what happens if we do three ads okay? uh, because you're not stealing money from yourself. Now, if you're stealing money from yourself, then you got to think twice about that. Does that, is that, okay. Um, a lot of people, you guys are probably all beyond this, but there's just massive confusion about positive thinking, you know, and, and I wrote about it in one of my books. A lot of people think that if I'm going to be a positive thinker, I can't acknowledge you know anything that goes wrong or anything that will go wrong. And so the the in, here's the here's the answer to the incongruity of being both an optimist and a pessimist. Uh, smart smart entrepreneurs are big picture optimists, but they are detail pessimists. Words they think they're going to get there. It's like, uh, I fly a lot. I don't know how many days a year I'm up there, but I'm up there a lot. I pretty much, I, I don't have any fear of flying. I think the plane's going to get there. Um, I don't really give it a thought. I assume that we're going to take off when we're going to land safely. We may not get there when we're supposed to get there, but we'll get there. I don't have much worry about the pilot flying to the wrong city by accident. I don't worry about the plane coming apart. None of that bothers me. So in general, I'm an optimist about air travel, but I'm a pessimist about all the details. 
I assume the plane's going to leave late. I assume they're going to lie to me about what's going on. I assume they're going to try and poison me with the food. I assume they're going to lose my baggage. I assume they're going to be nasty and abusive to me. Uh, I assume I'm going to get there late. I'm pessimistic about the details. Uh, and therefore, I've got little plans for how to deal with all of that when those bad things happen. And a smart entrepreneur, I think, approaches business the same way. Plan a project, plan a campaign, set a goal. You're generally optimistic about getting there. But you have to be detail pessimistic about all of the things that can go wrong in the process and what you're going to do about them. And so you can be a, simultaneously be a believer in Norman Vincent Peale and Murphy's Law. One does not void the other. A lot of people think it does. You've got to be all one way or you're all the other way. No, no, no. You can, there's a point where, they, where, where they're okay. You can, you can believe in both and, in fact, should believe in both. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.